If you've got a Bible, open it up. We're still in the book of James, but we're getting close. We're getting really close to the end. James chapter 5. The words will be up on the screen behind me if you don't have a Bible. James chapter 5, 7 through 12. And we'll read it before we begin. James 5, verses 7 through 12. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. That's God's word. Let's pray. Thank you for your word, God. We pray now that you would do your soul work on us, that we would be sensitive to your spirit, that your words would pierce our heart, that our hearts would not be hard towards your word, that you would make us patient people. When we suffer, we would remember that you are coming soon. So please, Lord, work in us now. Now, please, Father. We ask through the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus who purchased the Spirit for us. Amen. So here's the main point of this text. Be patient in suffering by believing that Jesus is coming back. So be patient in suffering by believing that Jesus is coming back. This is really a text about patience. I know that the title says suffering. We, we decided on these titles like 9, 10, 11 weeks ago. It's really, it's really about patience. Suffering is the context that James is saying that we need to be patient in. Suffering is what he's been talking about, and he's calling us, James is calling us in the middle of suffering to be content to trust God's ways in God's timing. That's a definition of patience. Patience is being content to trust God's ways in God's timing. You're going to suffer. And you're not going to feel patient about it. At least that's not going to be your natural instinct is to feel content with the way that God's working in your life and the timing of his work in your life. And James is saying, be patient. You're going to feel tempted to give up or to give in to sin in your suffering. 
And James is saying, don't do it. Don't do it. Be patient. Don't give up. Don't give in to sin and your suffering. How? How? And that's what this text is about. By believing that Jesus is coming back to relieve and reward you, and he's going to judge all evil. That's how you're patient in suffering. It's by believing Jesus is coming back. He is, and he's going to relieve and reward all your faith-filled suffering, and he's going to judge all the evil that's happened in this world. So the way we're going to break down this text that we're going to work through these few verses is we're going to start by talking about the return of Jesus. Jesus is coming back. And Jesus coming back, it motivates all the commands in this passage. All that's being commanded here is motivated by a knowledge that Jesus is coming back. If you believe Jesus is coming back, it's going to give you power to be patient. So we're going to talk about Jesus coming back first. It's our first point. Jesus is coming back. The second point, we're going to make four observations about patience. We're going to make four observations. We're going to notice four things about patience from this passage, and we're going to see how Jesus coming back relates to all of them. So that's where we're going. Jesus is coming back, and four observations about patience. So here we go. Jesus is coming back. I want you to see that believing in the return of Jesus and the final judgment are essential for obeying anything in this passage. No return of Jesus, no obedience. You have no power, for, at least from this text, if you don't believe that Jesus is returning. And I want you to see Jesus' return is all over these, these verses. Just like patience is all over these verses, so is the Lord's return. Verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Verse 8, you also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. That means Jesus, he's going to judge the world when he comes back. And that's what's motivating this command, not to grumble. Verse 12. Above all, brothers, don't swear either by heaven or earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Condemnation means that on the day of judgment, you're found to be guilty. So the coming of Jesus, the return of Jesus, the final judgment when he comes is all over this text. And believing it is essential for living as a Christian now. Get that? I mean, you can't just have, like, I'm going to live my Christian life now. It doesn't really matter what I think about what's coming in the future. No, no, no. At least according to this text, what you believe about Jesus coming back matters for right now, for the way that you live today. So what do we mean by the return of Jesus? Jesus, just unpacking the whole story for you, God's Son, he entered this world and he was made to be a human, a human being. And he always pleased God. And he loved sinners like you and me. 
And then he suffered by dying, nailed to a cross, in order, get this, to be punished for us. That's what he was doing. Now, why is that important? Because God is going to judge the world someday. And righteous people will live with God forever in peace. Unrighteous people will suffer in hell away from God forever. And you and I are unrighteous. No matter what your background is, no matter who your parents are, no matter how much people like you, no matter how nice you seem, no matter how religious you are, you are unrighteous. You don't cut it. You do not reach God's standard of righteousness. You don't love people like you should. You don't love God like you ought to and live for his glory. But Jesus is punished for the unrighteous. And if you receive that gift, then you will live. You need his forgiveness because judgment is coming. You need his forgiveness because the final judgment is coming. Actually, Jesus is coming. Those two things are the same thing. The same Jesus who died, he rose from the dead, he's with his Father in heaven, and God the Father has given all judgment into his hands. And when Jesus comes, he's going to grant relief and joy to those who trust him and to everyone else. He will come, this is 2 Thessalonians 1.8, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. There is nothing scarier than that. Getting eaten by a great white shark is not scarier than that, than experiencing eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord forever. Whatever you're afraid of, nothing is scarier than that. The scariest thing you've ever seen in the scariest movie will not be scarier than that. So, as John the Baptist says, flee from the wrath that come. Run! Run! Where do you run? You run to the punishment he took at the cross. And you'll be safe. <laughs> Not just safe. You will be happy forever. If you run to him for forgiveness for the punishment you ought to have and that God will give to those who do not trust him. When he returns, he will pour out on you kindness that you don't deserve forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Our passage demonstrates this by talking about the Old Testament prophets in Job in verses 10 and 11. It says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, 
Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So he's saying many of the Old Testament prophets, they suffered. Most of them suffered. They were persecuted. But they remained steadfast. And in the end, we read their stories. In in the end, we know they're blessed because they remain patient and steadfast in their suffering. So take them as an example for your life. Job is a great example. James gives Job as an example. He lost everything except his life and his wife, who told him he should probably take his life. But in the end, God restored what was lost, and he rewarded Job for remaining steadfast. He was patient and did not give up. Now, James mentions the story of Job because suffering, intense suffering, came first in Job's life. And then God made everything right in the end, and that's how the return of Jesus will be for those who trust him. We're going to suffer. I mean, that's a given for James that everybody in this room, everyone who names the name of Christ will suffer. Some of us will suffer very intensely. But in the end, when he returns, we will receive his compassion and his mercy. Do you see that in verse 11? You've heard the steadfastness of Job. You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So James is saying, When Jesus returns, he's going to restore all you lost and he will reward your patient waiting. And you will see that he has been working compassion and mercy towards you the whole time. So so the return of Jesus, it motivates us in two ways. This is what we've been talking about. But believing that Jesus is going to return and judge the world will keep you from wandering away from him to live for yourself. It will. If you believe he's going to judge the world, you're going to want to stay near him. And the second way his return motivates you is that if you believe that Jesus is going to make everything right, he'll perform justice on your behalf. And that he's going to reward you when, you, when he returns. It's going to free you to be patient, and to wait while you suffer now. He's coming back. That's what James wants us to see. Now, now that we've seen that, that's the motivating power, let's, let's make four observations about patience in this passage, and let's relate them to Jesus' return. So here's the first observation. Patience doesn't take revenge. Patience doesn't take revenge. Our section begins with therefore. So whenever you see the word therefore, it means that whatever you're talking about is building on something else. If you walked up to me while I was in the middle of a conversation, I'm having a conversation with someone, and you just walk in and you hear me say, therefore, I knew that Luke was a serial killer. You would really want to know what I said before that. It would matter a lot what I said before that because that was the conclusion. The therefore was the conclusion of what I was talking about. The therefore here is building on something else. It's really important to understand 
What came before this, if you're going to understand why you need patience? So what did the verse before, verse 7, say? James is talking to rich unbelievers who oppress the poor, and in verse 6 he says, You've condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Now, why doesn't the poor person resist? Why doesn't he fight back? Most people who comment on the Bible say, well, they can't. They don't have any power, which is probably true. But if you've been here for this series at all on James, you've noticed that James keeps quoting Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount, which we have in Matthew chapter 5 and And there is a parallel in the Sermon on the Mount to what James says right there. So listen to what Jesus says. This is Matthew 5, 38 through 41. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Did you hear that word? Do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. How radical is that? Jesus is saying, if someone slaps you, punch him right in the teeth. No, that's what our world says. He says, turn the other cheek. And if someone sues you to take your shirt, give them your jacket as well. If they force you to carry something for them one mile, carry it for them two miles. Now, we talked about vengeance a couple months ago, taking revenge when we were in the book of Genesis. Romans 14 is clear that we can pursue justice from the government If you've been wronged, it's good to get help, and it's good to get safe. Hear that? It is good to get help, and it's good to get safe if you've been wronged. But Jesus is calling us to never take personal revenge. That's radical. Jesus is calling us to never try to personally punish someone for what they've done to us which goes against all our instincts. That is crazy. You would be insane. You would be insane to live like this if you don't have a God who will make everything right someday. I mean, that's why verse 7 of our passage starts the way that it does. Be patient, therefore, brothers. He just said the righteous aren't resisting evil that's happening to them. Be patient, Therefore, until the coming of the Lord. How? If someone's wronging you, they aren't paying you what you deserve, and you can't live. How can you not get them back? How can you be content with God's ways and God's timing? By believing that the Lord is coming. He will punish all the evil done to you. You believe that? He will. And he will reward your patient kindness to those who do evil to you. 
Just like farmers wait six months for precious crops, you can see that in verse 7, it talks about farmers wait for the early and late rains. That's about six months for a crop. Precious fruit will come to you in your waiting, in your suffering, if you wait to the end. Verse 7, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. What if, what if a farmer, he plows his field, so that's hard work, he, he sows all his seeds, he goes to bed, he wakes up in the morning, he looks at his field, and there's no crop there, nothing's growing, so he packs up everything, he packs his family up, gets in the car, and drives somewhere else to do some other kind of work. That would be very short-sighted, it would show he doesn't know how harvests come. They come after a long period of patient waiting. And you or I becoming impatient in suffering and then leaving the commands of Jesus to be kind to those who are evil is, is even more short-sighted. A, a harvest will come through your patience. It will. It will, and it will come when Jesus returns. You can suffer with patience. I mean, you, you may say, no, I can't. I cannot take it anymore. You can. James says you can. And Jesus will make sure you're, you can. And you can do it by trusting that he's coming back. His purposes are compassionate and merciful, and you will see it in the end if you wait. Here's observation two. Oh, patience requires effort. Patience requires effort. Look at verse eight. You also be patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. So that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Establish your hearts. Establish them. That's a command for you to strengthen your heart to get your heart strong, to strengthen your inner self, you need to make sure that you are growing as a Christian. Did you know that? You need to make sure you're growing as a Christian, that you're growing in knowing who he is and enjoying who he is. That's how you strengthen your heart. Patience is not being lazy or passive. So when you think of waiting or being patient, you might think that just means you're doing nothing. Patience, you shut your brain and your body off and you're just waiting for Jesus to come back. That's not what patience is. Keeping your soul in a place where you are content with God's ways and God's timing is hard work. Because when you're suffering, it's really hard to control yourself. When your heart is going to be saying, be anxious, be anxious, be anxious, fight back, fight back. Keeping control of your heart so that you trust God's ways and his timing is hard. It's hard to tell your soul, don't be anxious. God will make all this right. His purposes are compassionate and merciful. Soul, don't take revenge. Don't hate that person. God will perform judgment that is needed. I don't need to. So when James says in verse 8, establish your hearts, he's saying you need to do work on your own heart if you're going to be patient. 
You're going to have to discipline your heart if you're going to be a patient person. Patience won't just happen to you. You're not going to automatically become a person who trusts God's ways and God's timing. It's not just automatic. You're not going to automatically stop being anxious when you suffer. You're not going to automatically want to stop hurting people who hurt you. You must establish your heart. And the reason you need to do this is because, verse 8 says, the Lord is at hand. That means he's close. His return is close, and you should be ready. You want your heart to be ready when Jesus shows up. When Jesus comes back, you don't want to say, oh, Jesus, give me just a couple more days to get right. The Lord is at hand. He's saying the Lord is near. Do the work you need to on your soul to be a patient waiter. You need to listen if you can't read or read your Bible every day. You need, you need to do that. You need to have discipline to, to focus time in prayer every day. You need to discipline yourself to be a part of the church, to be involved if your heart is going to be established. So do that work. That's what James is saying. And it's important you do that because Jesus is coming back. When you look back in 30,000 years, it's going to feel like it was really soon. Like right now, your suffering feels so long, and you're like, Jesus is coming back soon. It will feel like it was really soon when you look back in 30,000 years and see how Christ showed up with compassion and mercy. Observation three, patience doesn't grumble. Look at verse nine. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Do you know what grumbling is? Grumbling is complaining. Complaining. That's, that's different than telling someone that life is hard. You can tell someone that life is hard. That's a good, honest thing to do. But grumbling or complaining is verbalized discontentment. So if patience is trusting God's ways in God's timing, discontentment is when I don't trust, trust God's ways or his timings, and so I don't have any peace in my soul. That's what discontentment is. We complain or grumble to vent our discontentment. Your mouth is a vent. It's a chimney for what's in your heart. So if the fire of discontentment is burning inside your heart, grumbling is the smoke that's going to come out of your mouth. And James wants us to make sure that as a church, we don't grumble. We don't complain about each other. Jessica, she's so loud. It's so irritating. Bijou, he acts like he's so spiritual. I can't be myself around him. Or the last two months have been really hard, and Mark has not called me a single time. That's grumbling. It displeases God because instead of loving those people like Jessica, Bijou, Mark, talking to them about the things that have been irritating you if you need to, or just letting them go, instead of doing that, I complain about them. That's not loving them, and it shows... I think if we tie this to patience in this text, it shows that in my heart, I'm looking for someone else to blame my discontentment on. 
is when we're suffering, we're in pain, life is hard, it can become real easy to grumble against people. I don't know if you've ever heard the saying, hurting people hurt people. It can become really hard, really easy when life is hard to grumble, complain against other people. We're dissatisfied with life, and so we blame other people. We complain to others about them. But no, just remember, at the bottom of grumbling is impatience. It's, it's actually discontentment towards God. Remember that. So if you, if you hear someone or you find yourself complaining about someone else, just know that the thing that's most deeply going on is that you are discontent towards God, impatient. You don't like God's ways, his timing, and you're blaming someone else as being a part of the reason that you don't like God's ways and God's timing. And James reminds us, listen, Jesus is coming soon. Be patient. Establish your heart so that you are content with God's ways and timings, even in your suffering. He's going to make everything right. And if you do grumble, this is James' logic here, if you do grumble because you are impatient, remember that his coming means judgment to all those who refuse to obey him because they don't trust him. That's the argument James is making. So don't grumble because the judge is coming. He's close. It's like he's at the door, James says. All right, here's observation four. Patience doesn't lie. It doesn't lie, tell lies. So in verse 12, it almost seems like James changes the subject. Look at it. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. James is almost quoting Jesus again from the Sermon on the Mount, almost verbatim. It's Matthew 5, 33, 37. So when James and Jesus say, do not swear, they're not saying don't say bad words. That's not the swearing they're talking about. They're saying don't make promises that you don't intend to keep. So here's what was going on. If you swore by heaven, that's like, I'm really going to keep this promise. I swear by heaven. If you swear by earth, that's like a step lower. Like, inshallah. Maybe. If you swear by something else, like your car, and you don't like your car very much, you're basically swearing to someone, but you have no intention of keeping your promise. And James is saying, don't do that. I mean, when I was a kid... We had this thing where you could cross your fingers. You could tell someone something if your fingers were crossed. It was like a pass for telling a lie. It was like, sure, yeah, go to the bathroom. I won't touch your cookies. They walk to the bathroom. Cookies are mine. That's lying. That's lying. It didn't feel like lying because we crossed our fingers. It didn't feel like these people to lie because they swore by earth or something else. But it is. And James is saying... Don't have different kinds of promises. When you say yes, mean it. And keep your word, even if it hurts you. When you say no, mean it. Even if keeping your word hurts you. Okay, so now how does this relate to patiently waiting on the Lord? Here's how. The reason we tell lies, the reason we break our promises is because we don't trust 
that if we tell the truth and keep our promises, that God will take care of us in the end. We lie because we do not trust God's ways and his timings, so we lie or break our promises in order to do things our way in our timing. That's why we lie. That's impatience. It's mistrusting God's ways and timing. And James is reminding us, if you're a liar, you will be condemned. That's what he says. That means you will be judged guilty by God on the last day, which we talked about is a really bad thing. If you're a liar, it doesn't matter if you call yourself a Christian. If you're constantly lying, you're showing you don't trust God. You don't trust his ways, his timings. You're not a believer. It means Jesus' blood doesn't really cover you. So let the coming of Jesus wake you up. That's what James wants to happen. Wake up! Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Jesus is coming back soon. Redeemer, we will suffer. We will. But Jesus is coming back. When we're in heaven, it will not seem like his return was very far away from our suffering. So let's trust his ways and his timing. He will judge wickedness. He'll bring us justice. He'll pour out compassion and mercy on us. That's the crop. That's the harvest that we're waiting for. So let's not take revenge. Let's trust him. Let's establish our hearts to trust him. Let's not grumble. He's right around the corner. And let's not lie. If we trust him and we walk in honesty and integrity, we will see when he returns in the end that walking in his ways and his timing brought the greatest glory to him and the greatest reward to us on that day when he judges the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Oh, make us patient people. Please make us patient people. Make us people who trust your timing. We trust your ways. We, we believe what you say. Would you help us to suffer in a way that is different from this world? And would we wait for the day when you make everything right? You will do it because you said you would. So we trust you. Come, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.